Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Belinda Carlisle I, I there, I still Mark? can't hear anything. These oh, come on. Is this your first day on radio? No, but I'm saying this, this little portal, like it just all of a sudden drops out. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? It's Sorry to do that It's always everything here. else. It's never Jake Quarry. It's always something else. It's the else. day after he talked about how he defines professionalism. I do define professionalism. <laughs> Jake's, did you get him on the phone? No, you haven't given me his number yet. I gave it to you last night. You did not. I did. We've got oh. our first guest here coming up. We're very <laughs> prompt on that here on this Wednesday morning. We should have a meeting. Dick Gabriel going to join us to talk about Will Levis. Private workout for the Colts coming up today, or excuse me, tomorrow. Anthony Richardson later in the week. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud earlier you make anything of stroud and young or is that just simply hey just cover all your bases yeah in case I, something crazy it's got to be that and then you know my understanding is also kevin yes to answer your first question you've got to make sure you know somebody once told me and i think it's a really good lesson somebody once told me they said jake many of the decisions that i've made it was a sports executive And he said, a lot of the decisions that I made or a lot of things that went right were actually plan B because plan A didn't work out, but I had a plan B ready to go just in case because you cover all bases. And people don't even know that some of those plans were plan B. And that's that's the way you have to look at it. You've got to make sure that you're covered in all areas. I guess also they, they're going out and working out BYU's quarterback, right? Yeah, Jaron Hall, who when they played Notre Dame this year, I was not too impressed by him. Um, I, I know he had some good numbers this season. I will say one thing before, before we get to Dick. Jake, I feel like this is just like early April chatter, but there are some people out there that are like, could the Houston Texans not take a quarterback at two? Right. They draft again at 12. They have two first-round picks next year. So I think the thinking there is, you take Will Anderson at two, you put as whatever, well-built of a roster as you can around that QB. Next year, of course, Caleb Williams and Drake May. That's when you make your selection. I don't think that'll happen, but it's something that I've heard some people chat about. Again, it's probably more of a, we've run out of draft topics. Let's right, move on to another right. one. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Lickers Hotline, a guy that I have known for a number of years who always has his finger on the pulse of athletics at the University of Kentucky. WLAP is the radio station where he appears each and every day. He is also on the UK Sports Network. Dick Gabriel joins us to talk about, and I know, Dick, this will stun you, But of the number of conversations you and I have had about IU and UK basketball over the years, we're shifting it to the gridiron and Will Levis. And I'll begin with this. And first off, good to talk to you and good morning to you. Um, Were you surprised? Like, If I would have said to you a year ago, hey, Dick, in a year you're going to be doing radio interviews about the possibility of Will Levis being a top five pick, you would have said what? I would have said, are you sure you're talking to the right guy? Because the first time we all heard something like that, we were like, what? You know, somebody, it must be a slow day. Hmm. We knew he was a good quarterback. 
We just didn't know how good. And we have seen, we saw Tim Couch, but Couch racked up the insane numbers that are always going to draw attention whether a kid deserves it or not. But Levis had the skills, and it became apparent by the end of his first year. Dick, how would you describe Will like more in a teammate personality sense? I'll give you the best example of, of what we learned about him quickly. He was late getting in here. He had to finish up um, school at Penn State. He had to take care of his lease, uh, you know, drive in. So he missed spring, and he missed some of the summer work. And we thought, well, you know, this kid will come in, and he'll compete for the job. And, you know, he had been recruited by Liam Cohen, then the OC, when, when Cohen was at a different school. So we knew he had a shot. And within a few weeks, his teammates had named him a co-captain. And that told me everything I need to know, because if you've covered college athletics, and you guys have, that might not sound like a big deal to us, but it is to them. And I had never seen anything like that. The last time I saw somebody come in, and make an impression with leadership skills that quickly was a freshman, true freshman named Randall Cobb. And so for Levis to come in and do that, that really grabbed my attention. So, Dick, in terms of Will Levis, the player on the field, let's say, for example, that an NFL team calls you and they say, okay, Dick Abel, you've seen this guy in practice and in games as much as anybody the areas that would give you pause or that if you were to wave a magic wand that you needed to you know, improve for him yeah, yeah. would be what? He holds on to the ball too long. And you could hear on the air, our color analyst up in the booth, I'm the sidelines guy, you know, and you could hear Jeff McCorkle, get rid of it, get rid of it, you know, and, and, and then take a sack. Uh, but some of that was an experience. Some of that was knowing, as he pointed out, he has a cannon, and with that right arm and a flick of the wrist, he can get you out of trouble, you know, and move the ball 20 yards downfield. He had young receivers who were trying to figure out how to get open, and he had an O-line that was just really, really poor this past year. So he was trying to, I think, force the issue, make a play. And the other thing, guys, is, and this was a big difference from year one to year two, the new offensive coordinator for whom he played his second year told him, I don't want you running the football. The first year, running the football for the quarterback was a very important part of Kentucky's offense. That's why he scored four touchdowns against Louisville. But the new guy who came from the NFL, just like the old guy, but was more uh, steadfast in his desire to keep Levis from getting hurt, ironically enough, said, I don't want you running. And so he wouldn't break the pocket and take off. And what did he do? He stood in, took the punishment, and suffered a lot of injuries. I, I want to focus there on that transition from you know his final two seasons in, in Lexington. Again, Dick Gabriel's with us here, um, Kentucky Radio Network and, and WLPA in Lexington. Um, you know, not just offensive coordinator, but if I'm not mistaken, the personnel around him, Dick, really oh, yeah. changed from his you know his last two years there. Could you touch on that and maybe anything physically Will played with last season? Absolutely. I'll start with the second question first. He played with an injured, non-throwing shoulder. You know, the old quarterback, He landed. somebody landed on him. Uh, he played with a bad thumb on his throwing hand. He played with turf toe that he suffered during one of his many sacks. This one at Mississippi. Stayed in the game, led him to the game-winning touchdown, which was taken off the board. Uh, he's a tough guy, he really is. But what he was dealing with was almost an entirely new offensive line. Some of the guys were back from the year prior but every player in that starting five was new to that particular position. 
either had been moved from guard to tackle, from guard to center, or came through the portal and was learning a new complicated offense. It was a patchwork O-line, whereas in the first year, four of the, of the guys up front were invited to NFL camps and three of them stuck. So that's why the big blue wall got so much attention that year. And then we all here in the media, we just kind of drank that big blue Kool-Aid thinking, oh, it's the Kentucky O-line, they'll be fine. Well, they weren't. And Levis is the guy who suffered for it. Every time I drank that big blue Kool-Aid in college, it never was a great next morning, I must fully admit for me. I understand. Uh, hey, Dick, um, Dick Gabriel's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. When I look at Will Levis, you know, I look at a guy like like Josh Allen because of the fact that the numbers from the junior year to the, to, you know, year three to year four dipped and people critique that, but then you, you look yeah. at it deeper and you go, well, the personnel changed. But Josh Allen, I think, had to learn accuracy number one but had to learn also to not rely strictly on the strength of his arm i think jeff george had similar issue when he came out of college you know guys that have just relied for so long on the arm strength those windows close so much faster in the nfl is that of concern oh i think it has to be for any quarterback coming to the nfl but i do think that that's a great comparison i've been thinking a lot about jeff george and you guys saw him play up there, obviously, including college. Um, it's funny, too, when you mentioned Josh Allen, instantly I think defensive end in Jacksonville because he played here. <laughs> That's right. But I, but, I, but I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, you know, but I think the, the, the problems that Levis might have initially, I think, can be taken care of through reps. You know, and he's a guy who's not willing or not afraid to work hard. He's always willing to put in extra time. He's a smart guy. Uh, so yeah, he and the other thing too is he can throw people open. Couldn't really do that in college because he had Wandale Robinson, an NFL talent, his first year. Wandale caught like sixty-two percent of his passes, but the following year he had two really talented but true freshman receivers. And again, learning how to get open, so he didn't have that advantage going for him. But uh, he can throw people open, and he'll have receivers, professional receivers who can get themselves open and present themselves. And I think it's just a matter of time before he takes care of that. One thing I've heard about Will Levis, <laughs> and Dick, I realize that when we cover athletes, we don't truly know them. You know, we're around them. You can kind of see it. A lot of times, to your point, you can kind of tell based on how teammates react around them. But one right. of the things about Will Levis that has become kind of a buzz not that he's a bad guy, but just he's quirky, he's odd, and maybe a little aloof or arrogant. Any truth to any of that? I haven't seen that. Um, quirky, yeah, he ate the banana. The rod, you know, he drank the coffee with the mayo, but he kind of distanced himself from that his second year. I don't know him as well personally as I might have some of the other players, but I've seen players around him. I've heard players talk about him. I've seen twinkle in their eyes when they talk about him, and not just because of the strength of his arm. You know what they love, guys? They love the fact that, at least in his first year, more than once he put his shoulder into the sternum of a linebacker and got the better of him. Uh, that, you, you know as well as I how that impresses players. So, um, And then I, I, one thing that stood out to me, I mentioned the Mississippi game, and that was a really brutal loss. The, the locker room there is our most you know, locker rooms for visitors uh, in other stadiums. Not the best. And this is one of those ones with like a bench seat and a hook for your clothes. 
and we did the post-game radio show in that locker room, and Will Levis's locker was the closest one to ours. And so, and he was had to do media, so he was one of the last guys getting out. Every guy who walked by him touched him on the shoulder, patted him on the head, mussed his hair like, don't worry about this, we got this. You know, and that to me was, was just an organic reaction to a difficult day, but it was heartfelt, I thought. You know, now maybe they're selling me something, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. All right, Dick, last one from me. If to kind of summarize here, I guess the biggest question in Will transitioning from Kentucky to the next level, would you say is that something like processing footwork-wise? Oh, absolutely. That, you know, he's got to learn a new offense. Everybody does in the pros. <clears throat> but this will be his fourth in four years. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've heard some of the experts say, and they're right. I mean, everybody's got to work on footwork. I've told you got to work on footwork every day. Uh, you know, but I just think developing a relationship with receivers, I don't think that'll be a problem because he'll put in the work ethic. But footwork, I would think, is is going to be physically pro- the, the biggest issue for him. But it's not, I think, a terrible issue because he's a great athlete and he's a smart guy. Dick, did you not know what to do with yourself this year when the Sweet 16 rolled around and Kentucky wasn't in it? Oh, Jake. You know, the, no, that's a fair question. <laughs> but the good news is I also cover Kentucky baseball. Uh, I do the play-by-play for SEC Plus, and let me tell you what, it's the 10th-ranked team in the country, and you guys know it's fun to cover a good team that wins, as opposed to, especially baseball, as opposed, you know, as opposed to a team that just slogs through games. So I was, I was happily busy when basketball ended here in Lexington. To be fair, it's kind of been an annual thing lately, the Sweet 16 non-appearance. Hey, non- hey, hey SEC baseball is no man. joke, Dick, Dick. Dick, let me tell you oh. something. The, the hey, at least it's baseball season mantra has been spoken in Bloomington for like 10 years now. So, yes, there's <laughs> yeah, familiarity there. Came here. I saw you came here and played. You know, they got a nice team. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – you know, it's also a great talk show fodder with basketball struggling. As you guys know, that's manna from heaven. Loaded recruiting class coming to Lexington next year as yeah. they are one of the early 2024 favorites. Dick, great stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, if they do end up drafting Will Levis, hopefully we can have you back on later this month. Absolutely. Jake, I'll be calling you, brother. Now, Mark, we got all these requests for Roll Down the Windows music. Oh, are you telling me this song comes on you're not putting the windows down? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I, I might get the hand. I might get the hand out the window. I yeah. think more of like the roll down the windows at, at seventy miles an hour. This is more like the kind of cruising around. Oh. You know what I mean? The windows down. The windows down. Fair enough. It was this morning, but uh, it's going to be ugly here coming up in probably about two hours. So be safe today. Looks like some pretty severe weather, including hail, which is my worst nightmare. I had a car once completely totaled by hail, including it crashed through the sunroof. Ooh, this it, was like get some insurance. on you Remember that? that? Uh, oh yeah, they had like. It was like hockey puck size hail. This was like probably 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. The weather's unbelievable. Looking dicey in Augusta, too, for the Masters coming up, particularly Friday and Saturday. Let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline right now. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com joins us. Stephen, we'll ask enough quarterback questions, so let's not start off with quarterback. Um, 
The Colts have the 35th overall pick, Stephen. Let's assume they go QB in round one. How would you kind of rank the next position of needs for this football team? Well, I, I think there's a couple ways you can look at this. Uh, I, I think that cornerback has suddenly, for me, you know, become a, a much bigger priority. And and maybe it should have been anyway, uh, but, but definitely when you – when you make the trade that you've just made, I mean, now that that position, I just think, uh, particularly, I don't know what Kenny Moore's future is. Uh, he, he's here now, but you know, for how much longer? Uh, and and is he as valuable in this scheme as the old one? The answer is no. Uh, so I think corner is 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 definitely higher up the list. I, I think that wide receiver needs continued attention. Uh, look, the, the Colts. We'll see what happens with Michael Pittman this offseason. Um, I I think they'll try to re-sign him, but that may that may be put off a year. And if it does, you know, then he's going into a contract year, and you know he has the ability to walk right. Um, and, and even if he stays, right, this isn't even about Michael Pittman. I I just think if you want to be a team that that truly can compete offensively in in today's AFC. You got to keep people up at night, and they don't do that. The Colts do not do that, and with their personnel, that's just a fact. Uh, there is some feeling in the building that they have to think about whether uh, whether they have a, a true number one wide receiver. I, I have had that conversation with a couple people, and. And is that why the hesitancy – sorry to interrupt, Stephen. Is that why the hesitancy yeah. w- would be there in not extending him this offseason? Because no. typically Ballard does extend the, the, the rookie contract guys heading into year four. No, no let, me, let me be clear. Look, I, I'm not – no one has said that. Okay. that I, that's just me speculating. Yeah, let, let me be clear about that. Thanks for actually asking me to clarify that because I don't want to leave that impression. I'm not saying anything that, about them not extending Michael Pittman. I was just saying – that even if they didn't, I, I, I figured they would. But I'm saying it, it's not for me. That's not really even uh, the determining factor here. You know what I mean? And and whether they draft one or not, I, I just think that. I mean, they they have. I, I like Alec Pierce a lot. I, they have something there. There's no question. They have something at wide receiver. I, I think those two guys uh, can be a really good duo. But then I look over at like what's going on in Cincinnati, and I look at what they have, right? I mean, those guys, those guys go like four deep, you know? And and when it comes to crunch time and Jamar Chase is blanketed, what does Joe Burrow do? He throws to one of the other guys. <laughs> and and they usually make a play. And so, I, I don't know. I, I just think you can never have too many weapons there. Uh, and, and Shane Steichen, coming from Philadelphia, uh, he is evidence of that. You know, they they doubled down on that position in Philadelphia, and to and they had great results as a result of that. Stephen, we know that. I mean, for the points that you're talking about, and the fact of you know, corner to me is interesting because it feels like a need that was created. Truth be told, yeah. as opposed to that organically came about, but nonetheless. There is precedent of Chris Ballard parlaying picks into multiple later picks to try to diversify throughout the draft. Do they do that this year? Is there any chance that the Colts take early picks and try to parlay them into more later picks? Oh, sure. Thirty-five, number thirty-five is 
is actually prime territory for doing that. So I don't think that happens at number four necessarily, but but I think number 35 gives you that opportunity. It's at the top of the second round. You often have situations where after that first night of the draft, teams look at the draft board and then they think about, all right, what do we need and who's available? And if there's somebody there who, if there's somebody there who can can maybe uh, be of interest and entice teams to trade up at the top of the second round, I uh, think 35 is where you do it. I, if I recall, I mean, you know, that's that's an area of the draft where I mean the Colts really struck have struck gold before. You know, so you think about Shaquille Leonard and and Braden Smith and guys like that, that's the area of the draft. The Colts got those guys. Uh, so it, it can be very fertile. And and if Chris Ballard wants to maximize picks, I mean, that's where I would look to do it. And Stephen Holder is with us here from ESPN.com. Um, Stephen, if you're going to, like, I guess look at April 27th, so three weeks from tomorrow, the Colts will have that fourth overall pick. And if I handed you a pie chart and said, all right, Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen, that's on the pie. Um, how would you divvy up the percentages of decision-making within those three people? That's a very good question. Um, I think it's hard to say just because I don't think we really know you know, what level of influence Shane Steichen has. I don't really have a sense on that. But I'll tell you what I think it should be. I think it should be pretty high. Yeah, I would agree. You know, because don't bring a guy in here as and, and label him, you know, sort of this offensive whiz, as they have. Maybe not publicly, but that's why they hired him, okay? You, you say he's, he's the guy who can fix your offense, which has been said to me. Those exact words. So if he's that guy, then dang it, you better give him what he needs or at least let him have – some influence in getting what he needs because I can imagine he can, he looks at the roster right now and and when he thinks about what he actually needs to accomplish that James Steichen would likely believe he doesn't have all of those things so I think you need to you need to really give him that opportunity he gave him a six-year contract I mean look I know that he's a younger head coach and sometimes guys like that don't have a lot of influence. I think Shane Steichen should have a lot of influence. Not because I think Shane Steichen is some kind of genius. I don't know. I just think that the job before him is really important. And he was hired to do something very specific. As I said, fix the offense. You got to let him do it. And and here's the thing. Particularly when it comes to quarterback. He should have a lot of influence. Here, Here's the thing. Uh, Chris Ballard has very specific... Uh, you know, traits and things like that that he likes in players. But in this particular instance, you know, this is going to really, ultimately, it, it will reflect on Chris Ballard, but but ultimately, it's the coach that's going to have to be in the foxhole with this guy every single day. And there's, I think this is just a different situation when you're talking about quarterback. You got to give the coach uh, his preferences have to matter at quarterback. Stephen, when you look at Shane Steichen's track record, Stephen Holder's our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You can read him, of course, at ESPN.com. When you look at Shane Steichen's track record, he's worked with Philip Rivers. He's worked with Justin Herbert. He's worked with Jalen Hurts. Which quarterback 
do you seemingly maybe you haven't even stopped to think about this so not to put you on the spot but when you talk to Shane Steichen or you review comments from Shane Steichen or interviews he's done which quarterback does it appear that he mentions or favored working with the most in other words which style do you think most went along with what he enjoyed coaching well a i have thought about it and and have listened very carefully and read between the lines and and b i would say he's done a very good job of not expressing a real preference (laughs) and and maybe it's because he doesn't have a strong preference they could be that you know that's possible and and I think his track record suggests that could be possible. You look, I mean, he has had a lot of diversity in the types of quarterbacks that he has worked with. And the success has been, you know, relatively consistent. So so maybe it doesn't matter to him. Um, I, I think he the one thing he keeps stressing is, you know, he wants a football guy, a guy who is kind of consumed with football. But, I mean, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, frankly, I think all of these guys at the top of the draft – you know, they played at big programs and uh, have have played quarterback at a very high level. I mean, like, are they are any of them really just kind of like laissez-faire about football? Probably not. So I don't I don't know that that really separates them. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. I think it, for me, all right. I'll tell you if you're asking me, and you're not, but <laughs> but but I'm but I'm all you got right now. If, if it's me. <laughs> I'm looking for for upside, like in the long term. Whose ceiling is the highest? And I know this is a this is a, a, a controversial take, or maybe not one that everybody agrees with. But for me, if we're talking, you know, the two guys that we think are going to be available to them, Levis and Richardson, I'm going for the upside ten times out of ten. And the reason for that is because. I think number one, if you are really confident in your coaching, unless a guy is just hopeless. And, and you don't see a way that you can get him to play NFL-level football. And I don't think that applies here. But unless that's the case, then I think you've got to look at, all right, this is not about right now. This is not about right now at all. If this pick was about right now, maybe you look at it differently. This pick is about next year, the year after, and five years from now, hopefully. And in that, in, in that scenario, I'm looking at it from – the perspective of upside. And that is for me, Anthony Richardson. I think that uh, he, I think there are some refinements in his game that are not as big as people think that if they can make those refinements, they're going to have a player with huge potential. And so that's, I'm I'm just interested to see what that can be. I, I would, I would not want to leave that on the table and be wrong because I think if you are wrong about him and you, and you pass that, pass up that potential, I think you could regret it. I think to your question, Jake, I would say the name that Steichen mentions the most. I, I wouldn't say there's like an overwhelming one of the three he mentions more than the other, but I would say it's Justin Herbert. But the reason mm-hmm. why I would say that is because he also was part of the drafting of Justin Herbert. Like he walked into Philly and Jalen Hurts right. was already there. Right, right, he walked right. into San Diego and Phillip Rivers was already there. So I, I do think that's something to point out. Again, Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com, and you you kind of mentioned it right there, Stephen, but I was hoping you could expand. You believe that the Colts have real interest in Anthony Richardson, correct? Oh, for sure, yes. So Richardson... 
Oh, I'm sorry. You said the. I'm sorry. I thought you were. I thought there was a follow up. I'm sorry. Let me. No. You want me to expand? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a very awkward moment. Um, <laughs> all good. Like, all right, Kevin, keep going. Right. So you want me to keep going? Yeah, um, I just decided to half-ass it and hope you could talk. <laughs> hey, listen. Um, you got to be really specific with me early in the morning. <laughs> anyway, listen. Here's here's what I'd say. Look, they have this this. Um, interest in Anthony Richardson is not recent. Okay, I, I can tell you that. This this goes back a while. Uh, they had representatives in Florida uh, with him in Jacksonville before the NFL Combine. And I, I think they were really trying to keep that on the hush-hush, by the way. <laughs> and uh, that th- that did not happen. I did hear about it. So that, that was, let's just say, people were kind of, people were kind of surprised that I knew about that when, when I asked about it, because, and I realized, oh, they were really trying to be quiet about that. So I thought that was interesting. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to draft the kid, right? But but I think it was a little bit telling. I don't know that they've done that with everybody, particularly uh, at that stage, you know, uh, before the combine. I thought that was on the early side. Uh, so anyway, that, that was interesting for me. Uh, I also think that um, – this this there is some shall we say I don't want to say there's a split I don't know but or indecision but but I don't I don't think they're all on the same page you know on Anthony Richardson um, and there are you know there's there's probably some preference for Will Levis in that building and some preference for Anthony Richardson is the way I've heard it but I don't know who's on whose side and I, I can't I can't specify that but I do know that there are strong feelings for both players in the Colts building. So, Stephen, if you for you personally, and this is going to sound like I'm, I'm questioning your professionalism. I, I don't want it to come off that way at all. This is more of just like a human nature thing. But I know that you followed Anthony Richardson during the draft. Yep. Um, do you think in any way that your fascination with his upside or your interest to intrigue with his upside was convinced through that process no fair question i i think that it here's what i'd say i think that my it definitely piqued my curiosity more that is true yes that is definitely true um but i think from a principle standpoint i don't think that's necessarily the the the, the issue uh when i talk about the upside that's more of a, a principle thing for me i think particularly with a guy who is this young. Um, now, when you do dig into a player and, and write uh, an extensive story about them, you do learn more information that gives you, um, you know, a better grasp of, of who he is and what he is. So I do think that that gives me, you know, some, um, some level of maybe more of an open mind about who he is as a player. I'm not saying it's a preference because of that, but I'm saying, like, for example, you know, he doesn't turn 21 for a couple more months, and you start to really understand, you know, what he could be three or four years from now when he's 23 years old. I mean, that is that is really compelling, you know? So that's that's one of the things, for example. But also a guy who's very much mature beyond his years and I think could could handle the rigors of being an NFL quarterback even at his young age. So... Um, it's it's less of a of a like preference based on 
based on time spent as much as I think context that comes about because you, you did get a window into someone uh, that, that gives you a little bit of insight. So I, I think that helped in that regard. And Stephen Holder is with us here from ESPN.com. Shifting gears to the Lamar Jackson front, Stephen. Um, yep. Went on Baltimore radio earlier this week, and they were asking me about Lamar, and I basically said, unless the demands change, and I mean that financially and compensation-wise, I just don't see this being a, a serious discussion. And they countered with, if those demands change, Baltimore's just going to match. Like It'll be a no-brainer yep. for them. Uh, where do you stand right now on the Lamar Jackson Colts potential? That's kind of how I see it too. I mean, look, we there is some this discrepancy about whether uh, whether he's asking for a fully guaranteed deal and whether or or whether it's just a, a deal with like a ton of guaranteed money. But I think we're splitting hairs, right? So my colleague from ESPN, Dan Graziano, reported this after the owners' meetings that it was his impression that he's not asking currently, at least, for a fully guaranteed deal. But again, we may be splitting hairs because if he's not asking for a fully guaranteed deal, but he's asking for one that includes like 80% of guaranteed money in that deal, well, they're going to block it that too, right? So they being like most teams. So I don't know that it matters. So I agree with you. Yes, I I do think that he needs to, I do think that he needs uh, to, to modify what he's talking about or what he's asking for. Um, if, if this is going to be a real conversation about an extension, you know, with, with another team or, or excuse me, a, a new contract with another team or with Baltimore. But I agree if that happens, Baltimore is probably just going to throw in the towel and say, all right, we'll do it. If, if Lamar is willing to accommodate anyone, but there, here's the thing. Know that the guy we're dealing with right now, at least where Lamar is right now, I don't see a guy who is who has any intention of of being accommodating. <laughs> okay, right. I, I just don't see that. And I, I've talked to people, you know, who understand that situation better than me, and they don't have a lot of optimism that that Lamar Jackson is going to back down right now. Now he may ultimately have to, but but as it stands right now in early April, he doesn't have to, and he doesn't show any signs of doing that. So I don't. I agree with you. I think the Colts are going to say, "Well, look, we got the number four pick," and for for that situation to to override the number four pick in a much better way than it does right now, and and it just doesn't work when you're talking about the kind of money we're talking about and 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 giving up the two first round picks, which Jim Mersey. I guess, is, is just a, a non-starter for him based on what he said. Steven, somebody just asked me this, so I'll pass it along. It's a fair question. thought it was kind of a good one. Uh, hey, Jake, can you ask Stephen Holder if Anthony Richardson in any way reminds him of a morph between Andrew Luck and RG3? I think that's interesting. Um, I would say... Yeah, I could see a little RG three there. Now RG three was a was a much more polished passer when he came out of school because he had he had played a lot more. So, but but as a but as an athlete, yeah, there's there's some shades there. I, I don't think we've really used the RG three comparison. Um, and, and RG three obviously won the Heisman Trophy, right? I mean, he was a fantastic player and was the best, maybe 
one of the two best players in college football. It was either him or Andrew that year. Anyway, uh, it's not a it's not a bad reference point though. And I guess the the luck the luck comparison I imagine from this listener is coming just from his athletic ability as well and size you know? probably because he's a big dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think that is something I will I will agree on that point particularly because I think that's something that we we don't often talk about enough about Andrew Luck is just his his rare size. I mean, he he was 6'4 and 240. I mean, there's a lot of big quarterbacks out there, but like there isn't a lot of them walking around at 6'4 240. And and that's something that with Andrew Luck we just kind of like gloss over sometimes but that was a very unique part about him as well so i don't hate that i i i see shades of both of them i mean obviously big big differences as well right but lux here's the thing steven could that cause the colts and i realize this is probably more a grigson frustration than a ballard frustration but i think one of the things that ryan grigson was always open about was the fact that he tried to sway Andrew Luck from always taking the extra hit, but Luck's size just allowed Luck to do that, and then that just wore his body down to the point where he's like, okay, enough. Could the Colts look at Richardson and go, we don't want to go through that again, a, a guy that's that, that, that wants to tuck and run every single time? I get that, and certainly it might cross your mind. <laughs> I really think that boils down to to mentality, and and also I think – there are ways to coach that too, and we saw that. Now it was it was too late by this point, but we saw that with Frank Reich in 2018. We did not see Andrew Luck take the same kinds of chances. Now he was coming off the the injury certainly, and he had been through a lot, so maybe he finally learned a lesson. But but I do think there was I do think there were there were nuances in the way Frank Reich coached him that prevented him from doing that. And uh, take Carson Wentz in, in 2021. Um, we didn't see Carson Wentz running all over the field. I mean, he did run probably more than he should have at times, but but they certainly didn't use him as a dedicated runner that much. And they, they certainly, and, and Carson himself, I thought was most of the time like more likely to try to make a play in the pocket. So, I, and I think the coaching had a lot to do with that. So, so I think there's ways to coach a guy that helped him restrain himself as a quarterback from from putting himself in harm's way. Ultimately, if the game's on the line, I want my quarterback to do whatever he's got to do, but I just don't want him doing that all day long. In three weeks from tomorrow, uh, the first round of the NFL draft, and Monday, uh, the Colts offseason program. So we'll hear from Shane Steichen next week, I believe a local pro day for the Colts as well. So the offseason, about to pick up after a little bit of a lull heel here in between free agency owners meetings and of course the draft steven great stuff man as always thank you all right guys See you. whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Nine o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. It's nine o'clock technically everywhere in the Eastern time zone. Thunderstorm warning right now, right, Mark? 
Yeah, for the Indianapolis Fishers and Greenwood area. And that is in effect until... 9.15. I mean, it's probably going to be most of the day, to be honest yeah, with was, you. If you look at the radar right now, it's a big sell like, kind of right around the airport and you know, in that northeast direction. James texted me during the break, said they got some hail in Franklin right now. So, you know, south of the city, kind of that southwest, I guess, part of the city. You know, over in Brownsburg, some big wind gusts, so... Sounds like the first wave kind of right now, and then potentially another one coming closer to lunchtime. Uh, joining us down the Payless Liquors hotline, Pacers in action coming up with the New York Knicks. They have just three games left now on the season. That includes New York and Detroit. Tonight at the Fieldhouse, it's Pacers-Knicks, 7 o'clock pregame. You can hear with Mark and the gang at 6.30. And then, of course, on television, Bally Sports, Chris Denary will have the call, and he joins us. Uh, Chris, I'll begin with this. Kind of an odd question, I realize, because, you know, 79 games into it, probably have seen about everything that, you know, you would want to study or examine. Is there anything left down the home stretch that you still have kind of question marks about that you'd like to see answered for you about this roster moving forward? Well, I think I think the one thing that we've seen uh, over the last week or so, maybe even over the last two weeks, is uh, the two young rookies that have played together in the backcourt. I mean, we know Tyrese Halliburton's the the starting point guard and the leader of this team, but I think it's been good to see uh, Andrew Nemhard and, and Benedict Matherin really play well and play together. Uh, Nemhard continues, I, I think, to have a, a really outstanding year um, for a second round draft pick. Um, at a 15.15 assist game. And then I think also what I've been encouraged by has been the play of the two backup centers that have alternated as starters here over the last uh, four or five games, and that's Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. Um, you know, they've been tested against some, some pretty good teams, uh, Dallas and Milwaukee and uh, Oklahoma City is a team that's still fighting and scrapping to get into the play-in. Uh, Cleveland on Sunday, who's a playoff team. So um, I think in, in the final three games to continue to see that growth of those young guys and, and put them in situations that will uh, you know make them better for the future. How many games you ever had canceled due to weather, Chris? <laughs> well, I was just going to tell you guys as I, was, uh, I got my phone and Mark called me, I just sort of sauntered outside and I looked in one of my trash cans uh, had tipped over and fortunately was not in the street, but my neighbor's trash can is in the middle of the road. Um, it is so windy across the street um, that that's the case, too. Um, we did have a game canceled right around Christmas a number of years ago, uh, playing the Bulls uh, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And I remember driving to the game, and it was a blizzard, and they were concerned that they could not get the workers there. And that game was canceled or postponed. I mean, we ended up playing it, of course, but it was played later in the year. Is that it in your, what, 17 years on the call? Yeah, um, that's, uh, you know, we had some games postponed because of COVID, not not weather-related. I think that's the only one that I can remember. I mean, I remember uh, being in Cleveland and having to spend the night because of weather. But I think we flew game day and ended up playing that game. So, yeah, the only one I can remember is uh, Chicago a number of years ago. Again, Chris Denary, TV voice of the Pacers, joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline as the skies continue to darken around central Indiana. Um, I would say it's been pretty bright, though, for the Pacers this season when you think about 
what was necessary, what was needed. If you had to kind of throw out maybe the thing that has surprised you the most in a positive way with this season, what would you say? Well, you know, I, I was looking at some things at, at teams that I'm going to compare what, what the Pacers are doing and, and what teams have done in the past. And, and I, I've always said that I've looked at two young teams, one in the East, one in the West, and that would be Memphis in the West and Cleveland in the East. Uh, Darius Garland is uh, in his fourth year. As a rookie, he won 19 games. In his second year, he won 22 games. And this is an all-star that you know now is paired with Donovan Mitchell. Um, so I just think the fact that this team has played so many clutch games, I think they're number four in the NBA in the number of clutch games, and that means five points or less with five minutes to play. Uh, you can hear as I'm standing here outside as – uh, fire truck is going by as it continues to blow here where I am. I'm giving you giving you an up to date uh, weather related. Heck yeah! On the scene, the Brian are you Jim Cantori right now outside? <laughs> are you in a caramel yeah. roundabout outside right now? <laughs> no, there's not a roundabout. Uh, well, there is a roundabout to the east of me, but not to the west of me. Um, so I, I think, guys, that's the thing that I've been most impressed with is how many close games they've played. Uh, they're 24 and 22 in clutch. So that means that uh, 46 of the 79 games they've played this year have put themselves in a clutch situation. And, and I just think for a young team that's trying to grow, that's very, very important. And that's what Rick Carlisle has talked about. He goes, you know, these are sort of our playoff opportunities, putting our players in position that they haven't been in before. So I think from that standpoint, guys, I've been very impressed with – really how they've handled late-game situations for the most part this year. Chris, when I look at – Chris Tenere is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. When I look at this year's roster, I think about two guys that jump out at me. And let me explain. Buddy Heald and Andrew Nimhard. And the reason I mention those two guys is because I think both of them have proven that they are glue pieces you know i think there was some thought that maybe buddy hill would be flipped and i think the pacers looked at him and said this guy can, is a great player he's a he's a great shooter he's an unselfish shooter which is rare and then andrew nimhard as you talked about has exceeded expectation right um and shown to be a really solid piece but that means especially when you factor in three first round picks coming that something's got to give somewhere so let me give you three guys, and you tell me if it's possible that they are not long-term pieces. Okay, O'Shea Brissett. Well, the, the O'Shea Brissett's contract is up, so I mean, it will be his opportunity to decide, you know, if if he wants to stay or go, and, and the Pacers' opportunity. So, you know, that's a situation where he's not under contract uh, after this season. So. You'll, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I've, I've enjoyed O'Shea's contributions. Um, he's, you know, in a situation where there's there's quite a dip, bit of depth at that 3-4 position. But with him, you know, not being under contract for next year, I mean, all options are on the table for both the Pacers and for him. Okay, second one, uh, Chris Duarte. You know, that's been a, it's been a tough go for Chris uh, because of the injuries. Last year he missed so much time. Uh, with the toe injury, and then this year he missed the 21 games with a sprained ankle. Um, this is going to be an important summer for him. I mean, he's he's in a situation as well where there's a lot of competition. 
so um, you know, you know, hard for me to answer. I mean, that's that's you know, the front office makes all those decisions, but I mean, he's somebody I'd like to see more of, and I'd like to see him get healthy because I think he's a really good shooter. He just in his first two years, injuries have sort of impacted his career. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. And then the last one is a guy that, uh, Chris, it feels like all year we've we've said this, and I think you know how I feel about them, uh, about this guy, I mean, about him. Uh, Isaiah Jackson. Uh, oh, when, I think he's – yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, I think with both he and Jalen Smith, you have two guys. And, and look at it this year. I mean, with Miles Turner being out, you, you've got to have depth at that center position. Um, so he, he's he's just such an outstanding athlete. He can do so many things. You can throw the ball up to the rim and get to him. I, I just think there's there's a place for somebody like that. He's a young player. He's only, what, 20, 21 years old in his second year. Um, I just think he's a valuable player that the Pacers are going to count on for the next few years. He does it all. He'll be on the call tonight, but right now he's outside in Carmel giving us weather reports. He's Chris Denary joining us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Chris, obviously Benedict Matherin, uh, you know, my affinity for him I think is pretty well documented. I think from a scoring standpoint, um, you, you couldn't have asked for anything more from him this season. Having said that, I would say he needs to certainly and has room to make strides kind of as a playmaker and especially on the defensive end of the floor. Um, it seems like Rick Carlisle has... I think done a really nice job of being like, all right, that is the focus late in the season for you of you're going to start, you're going to get big time defensive assignments. We want you to get in the lane and not just be bull in the China shop and attack the rim. Cause we know you can do that even at this level, but be more of a playmaker when, you know, opportunity kind of calls for that. How have you seen Mather and if at all kind of change or alter his game here late in the year? There's no question about that, Kevin. I mean, I've seen him throw some alley-oop passes, you know, to Isaiah Jackson that have been reserved for guys like Halliburton and Nemhard. And so, uh, and, and then the other thing is, as you said, it's the defense. Rick Carlisle has, 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 even for all of his players, he doesn't focus on points. He focuses on all-around contribution. And he is very, uh, very convinced that Benedict is a high-level scorer. Uh, but he wants him to do other things. And I think we've seen that. I mean, uh, I think two of the last three or four games, he's had nine rebounds, which are career highs. Um, you know, his passing is better. I think his overall focus on the entire game has been very, very impressive, especially since he went to the starting lineup. And and that's something that, uh, you know, he was a contender for six man of the year early in the year because of his contributions off the bench. Now he's getting those opportunities in a starting role against starting players. And there's no question that we've seen definite growth there, that they want him to be a two-way player, more than just a guy who can get the ball in the bucket, uh, somebody that can get a defensive stop when you need it. Uh, you saw that on Friday night on, on a last key possession. He's guarding one of the best scorers in the NBA in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Didn't let him get to the rim, made him settle for a perimeter shot, and the Pacers ended up winning the game. Hey, Kristen Aries with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I do want to ask you your thoughts about the, kind of the new CBA earlier this week and the impl- implementation of a midseason tournament next year. If I'm not mistaken, 
Um, it's not necessarily going to be more games on top of the 82 that we're used to. This is going to be built into the schedule so that you won't be playing more games. There is a financial component. I think it's 500000 per player for the winning team. I'm good with it. I, I think the NBA season, and you probably feel it more than anyone, can get a little bit into a lull kind of December, January. So I like this idea. What were your thoughts on that and anything else CBA-related? Yeah, they, they broached this uh, you know back in September, we, we were uh, presented uh, just some ideas at our broadcasting meeting. And so I was not surprised, you know, that what's come out, that there would be some type of tournament. It is something that I think Adam Silver and his group is champion. They've looked at uh, European soccer and, and how you have a regular season. But within the regular season, you've got, you know, the Champions League or you have the FA Cup or those types of things. So, no, I, th- I think you're right the, the the only added game would be the championship game. I think two teams would play 83 games. Uh, the other games would be baked into the regular season. So I guess you're qualifying games. Um, and I don't know if they'll do that by division, how they will do that. But um, you'll still play the same number of regular season games. Um, and certain games will count uh, toward the tournament. And then what I saw is that eight winners then will go play a single elimination and those will still be within the 82 and if you don't make the final eight you'll have some crossover games um that will get you to your 82 so it'll be a tournament within the season that's what's you know what i've read and no i'm for it i i I think anything you can do uh to create added excitement during the regular season i'm all for chris when i was at the pacer game the other night I noticed in one of the promotions inside Gamebridge Fieldhouse that Kiss is coming. In you concert. almost caught the ball at the game the other night. I did. Did you see that, Chris? My cat. I, my my reflexes are sick, aren't they? Did you notice yes, that? The, the the ball was. I mean, the, the I think the ball flew to the left of Quinn and I and was heading to you. Yes, absolutely. It was. I mean, you were, my. You were, you were cat quick. I was glad you didn't mention amazing. local celebrity Jake Query almost on the deflection. <laughs> Thank you for refraining from that. It was my reflexes were amazing on that. Um, do you want to go to the Kiss concert? I, I think we're. Gonna, I think I'm going to go. I'm not. I. I mean, I remember Kiss from. <laughs> I remember Kiss from uh, my high school days, but no, that, I don't. I, that's not. That's not on my bucket. Come list. on, yeah. Chris. Like. I mean, I'm not necessarily. I don't even necessarily like Kiss. They kind of scared me when I was a kid. But I mean, come on, we can go down there and spit up some blood and get some pyros oh, yeah. going mm-hmm. and stuff. It'd be awesome. When I think Chris and Harry, I think that, don't I? <laughs> I mean, I've spent yeah. Carb Day with you. I might as well spend a Kiss concert with you, right? <laughs> That's true. When you say the word blood, I'm the one that uh, if there is. Uh, if there is blood on a player, I turn my head. Uh, I'm hoping that Jamie Burns does not show additional replays. I, I go back to, gosh, it's probably been 10, 12 years ago when Danny Granger planted his face on the floor against the Celtics and all of his teeth started scattering uh, around the floor. That was one of those days I just wanted to look the other way. So, no, blood, kiss at a concert? No, I'll, I'll pass, Jake. Yeah, probably right. the, bl- the blood thinners for Jake. Probably not the best <laughs> companion to have in Chris Denary. A little war um, it, yeah, that's right. I, I guess this is probably more of an off-season question, Chris, because I don't think it's going to be impacted here the last week of the year. Any update, uh, Bally Sports related for what next season could look like, considering you know the bankruptcy issues? No, no. I mean, you know, for us, it's just been, it's been, you know, do your job. I mean, the games are airing. 
um, you know, that'll be something I, you know, to follow um, as the as the season goes on. But I can assure you, you know, there there will be Pacers games on, and you know, our plan right now is that they'll be on Valley Sports, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens as we move along in the summer. Where uh, where are we going for rooting interest, guys, for the playoffs? Are we are we Kings? Are we who else are I we? I mean, Kings are cool because of Sabonis, and they're it's been forever since they've been there. They're yeah. young and exciting, right? Anybody, Chris, for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, just I, I guess because of relationships. Uh, I mean, I had a great visit with Brad Stevens uh, last week when we were in Boston. Um, I mean, they are built to win, right? I mean, if you look at the East. I think the two favorites are probably Boston and Milwaukee, um, and you know just because of relationships, I'd, I'd love to see Brad and the Celtics get that done. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I was just thinking about this, and you asked me as you look at the future and, and and what you like about the Pacers and the growth and the youth. You're going to have four teams probably in the play-in in Miami, Atlanta. Toronto and Chicago all four you would think should be built to be in the top six right two of them are not going to make the playoffs so two of them are probably going to go in a rebuild and then the other two if they get beat you know by seeds one and two they're going to really have to look internally at themselves so I just think that that's going to be the fascinating part leading into the offseason the draft and free agency and trades you're going to have a number of teams that are going to have to look in the mirror and say, gee, what are we going to do? And I think the Pacers have already done that, and they've already you know, set themselves up for what they hope will be you know, a, a really solid next four or five years. And so that, to me, is going to be the fascinating. Next week, watching those play-in games, sort of a one-and-done situation, and who gets in and who does not, that's really going to set the table for the summer as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know what? You bring that up about the East. I mean, how about out West? I mean, right now, you're playing teams to be the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, and the Thunder. The Thunder only half game up on Dallas. Let's say those two flip. Lakers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, and Mavs, they are not built to be in the play-in. <laughs> they are built no. to be in the playoffs. So I, I do think the NBA – yeah, again, to me, you got to make one of the top eight seeds to really be in the playoffs. I do think the play-in drama is just outstanding. Well, you've got a game. I don't know if it's tonight or tomorrow night in the West. The Clippers are sixth. The Lakers are seventh. Yeah, tonight at and, 10 o'clock. And, they, and they're playing at 10 o'clock tonight. And one of those teams is going to stay in six, and one's going to stay in seven, which means one's in the play-in and one's not. I mean, that's that's to me the beauty of what they established with this play-in tournament, whereas all of a sudden, game 80 is hugely important for either of those teams to avoid uh, being in the play-in. So I, I think that's, again, as you look at what they've tried to do and you know what they maybe hope to do with a, a, an in-season tournament, I think the play-in tournament's really been a hit and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of hit, um, how about when they start playing the hit Beth, followed by Detroit Rock City? You don't want to be there for that, Chris. I mean, standing up. I mean, you know, no, I'm, I'm more of a in, in this day and age. I'm more of a Darius Rucker, Thomas Rhett, Brett <laughs> Eldridge. Uh, you just start going down the list. Your friends at Hank FM, they would they have they would have all the hits that that I'm interested. He's got in. weather duties. Did you hear him earlier in the segment? That was outstanding <laughs> by Chris Dedere. The more out. you can do, right? He's on his way over to tell the neighbors to pick up their crap. Nothing sounds well, like a country song like that. 
<laughs> it it uh, it fell over again. Uh, so I may have to, I mean, I may have to go over and help him. Yeah, um, be a good neighbor, I'm looking, Chris. I'm looking up and down the, the road here, the street, and there's all kinds of trash cans down. You heard the, you heard the sirens. So yeah, I was giving you that Brian Wilkes report. Outstanding. Jim Outst- Cantori is shaking in right. his boots right now. That's yeah, right. exactly. Bally's going to have to pay a whole lot if they want to retain Chris Denary with his <laughs> ability to be versatile like this. Uh, Chris, I've enjoyed it all season. Thanks for hopping on with us as you have. I know it's probably a bit odd to call games like this late in the year, but I think this time next year it'll be a bit different story. So uh, appreciate your calls, and uh, thanks for the time. All right, thanks, guys. See you soon.